Good morning. You are listening to B-Side Dreams here on BFF.f. And I am here this morning with my returning guest, P.F. Dumanis. Hey. Um, We were in a band together called The Matinees, and he's been on the show a couple times to talk about music memoirs, and he's back again to do the same. Thanks for having me back, Yeah, welcome back. Is my mic on? Yeah. Okay. Can you hear it? Do you want your Um, headphones up? Maybe a little bit more. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And you can hear the farmer's market in the background. We're at the ferry building. And that last track was a short one by Kristen Hirsch. Or no, that was the Throwing Muses with Dylan from The Real Ramona. You're going to talk about the new Kristen Hirsch book. Yeah, Seeing Sideways, which is, uh, as she subtitles it, a memoir of music and motherhood. Yeah. <laughs> And a lot of it, actually most of it, is really about her kids, and the music just kind of uh, plays a backseat role in that. But I highly recommend it. Kristen Hirsch is a great writer and very stream of consciousness, and uh, um, it made me want to revisit her first solo album, Hips and Makers. Yeah, so that was, that's the next song that we're going to play. Um, oh, go ahead. Right, because we're gonna we're gonna do your ghost next. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Your yeah. ghost um, has a surprise guest backup vocalist that you uh, will hear if you listen closely. Oh, I didn't know about that. Okay. Would you like me to spoil it for you? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Let me see. Or should I? Do you want to oh. have like a radio contest and people can call in if they know who it is? Hold on, my my. Um, my library is not loading. Ah. So uh, you can keep talking. Yeah, I'll keep talking <laughs> while we were having technical difficulties. Um, well, uh, maybe I should spoil it for you. The guest vocalist that sings backup on Your Ghost uh, is Michael Stipe of R.E.M. And oh, cool. Yeah. yeah, I guess they were kind of buddies in the late 80s and this album came out I think 91 um, just after The Real Ramona and uh, I think she was taking a break from Throwing Muses. I think she's actually under contract for a solo album and she explains it in the book but everything she explains in the book is um, a little bit cloudy. Um, you know, she she explains things but she, for instance she doesn't name anybody like the guy who was her husband for most of the first part of the book, whose name I forget, she just refers to as the man. Oh. <laughs> uh, the, the people that she does name in the book are her children. And those are the only people in the book who she names by name. Is the man a different person than the guy who she was on... Did I give you the Vic Chestnut book? You know you haven't. And, because uh, I, I was looking for it to bring to you, and I couldn't find it. Oh. And I was like, oh, maybe I already gave it to him. No, maybe you gave it to Therese. No, I don't think mm. I loaned it to anyone. Mm. I don't know where it is right now. Well, okay. anyway, yeah, it was the, the guy she was... He was uh, a producer that she was married to from, uh, I think, late 80s uh, all the way through the 90s maybe even into the 2000s a little bit but then they divorced okay yeah. and then she was re and then she got remarried yeah and but that, yeah, I, I think I, that was the person in the when she was on tour as big chest that was the been. new person oh yeah must have been yeah okay 
So I'm going to play your ghost now. And we'll be back to talk more in a minute. On BFF.fm. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> if I walk down this hallway tonight, it's too quiet. So I head through the dark and call you on the phone. Push your old numbers and let your house ring till I wake your ghost. Let him walk down your hallway It's not this quiet Slide down your receiver Sprint across the wire Follow my number Slide into my hand It's the blaze across my nightgown It's the phone's ring Driving circles around me I think last night You were driving circles around me I think last night You were driving circles around me I can't coffee till I put you in my closet let him shoot me down let him call me off I take it from his whisper you're not that tough it's the blaze across my nightgown it's the phone's ring Driving circles around me. You were in last night. You were driving circles around me. You were in last night. You were driving circles around me. You were in last night. You were driving circles around me. You were in my time. You were driving circles around me.
Hey there, you're listening to B-Side Dreams here on BFF.FM with me, Jamie B-Side, and my guest, P.F. Dumanis. Hey, and that was Throwing Muses. That was Throwing Muses with Hook in Her Head from The Real Ramona. And do you want to say anything more about that? Um, just that uh, bragging rights here, I got to see some really early Throwing Muses shows in Boston when I was there nice. for college. And uh, they were just amazing to watch live, and especially back when they had Tanya Donnelly in the band. Yeah. The Real Ramon is the last album that had Tanya, and uh, I kind of feel like they reached an apex uh, in their songwriting craft. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that album's just kind of special to me and hook in her head gets noisy near the end <laughs> yeah um but yeah it's uh kind of showcases their more experimental side yeah and you said that that to you symbolized Kristen hirsch kind of at her best or maybe not necessarily her best but her like most honest uh-huh. uh, her truest self i think musically I don't know, she'd probably uh, disagree with that <laughs> <laughs> assessment. What year was did that album? Uh, that was 1990. Okay. Cool. And so now we're moving on to... Well, the back right now in the background, we have Gary Newman and Two-Boy Army with I Nearly Married a Human. Yeah, and that's because I read uh, his memoir called Revolution, but the R is in parentheses, so it's kind of evolution... Slash revolution. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'd always been a little curious about Gary Newman because really um, most people only know the song Cars because it was kind of his one hit wonder. But the album before that, which this instrumental is from, uh, is Replicas, which was a really, really great album. And uh, so I kind of wanted to read how this came together because the first Tubeway Army album when it was just Tubeway Army and not Gary Newman and Tubeway Army. They were kind of more of a punk band and no synthesizers. And so Gary Newman, according to his memoir, just found a disused Moog synthesizer uh, in the studio and just started twiddling with it and became kind of obsessed with it. You know, he's a little OCD, he has Asperger's. And he, um, he said to the producer of the record, you know, I. I want to redo all these songs with synthesizer and um you know thankfully they let him uh, uh while we're on the gary newman bed i also wanted to um point out interestingly to me because i think it was obvious to anybody who really listened to him that he has asperger's um but uh to listen for, to his music or to listen to the him lyrics talk? the okay. lyrics yeah. more um you know, kind of very alienated and uh, logical and, you know, Spock-like. And, uh-huh. you know, uh, and I've known many people with Asperger's, including a brother of mine and uh, who was not diagnosed with Asperger's in the 70s. So it surprised me to learn that Gary Newman actually was diagnosed with Asperger's in the 60s. Oh, like wow. A decade before, you know, a couple of decades before anybody really knew what Asperger's was. So, uh, you know, being in London, the right place the right time and uh and he got a proper diagnosis and you know lived a pretty fulfilling life cool but also made lots of mistakes Uh, one of my uh one of the things i used to love to say about gary newman was he was a good example of you can have one hit record and then live off of the royalties of that record and you know put out as many records as you want that nobody buys yeah 
Because that's what it seemed like. But actually reading his memoir, it turns out that he was in debt for a lot of that. And largely due to the fact that he wanted to put on huge, visually stunning shows and used up all the money that he made from cars. And uh, then he wow. was constantly trying to play catch up. And it didn't help that his dad was his manager. Oh, it's like a Britney Spears situation. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is fair to say. Finally, uh, it got to the point where he said, Dad, you know, I got to get a, a real manager. That's, oh, that's funny. Yep. Well, so, so with the visually appealing show performances, are there videos of those? You know, I tried to find some on YouTube and there aren't a whole lot. I'm not sure how well it was documented to be honest okay do you want me to move into the pauline sure yeah um so uh i think the segue here is that gary newman discovered electronic music kind of accidentally actually very accidentally but he really was um taking the reins from the people that pioneered electronic music and of course everybody thinks of Kraftwerk, but even before Kraftwerk. There were avant-garde electronic musicians in the 60s, and San Francisco just happens to be one of the hotbeds of the original wave of electronic music. What you're hearing behind us is Pauline Oliveros, who was one of the pioneers of this new electronic music in the late, starting in the late 50s to the 60s and you know taking cues from composers like Stockhausen in Germany um, but San Francisco had what they called the Tape Music Center uh, mm -hmm. which specialized in uh, giving access to avant-garde musicians to tape machines and then later uh, very rudimentary synthesizers which would make the kind of music that you're hearing now and it, I think it's worth noting that the original synthesizers that composers made music with didn't have keyboards attached so it wasn't a western tonality uh, based music it was just these noises right because a lot of people associate synthesizers with the keyboard yeah but that wasn't always the yeah, case yeah yeah so the book that i read about the san francisco tape music center uh was really interesting for me and i think people that uh are interested in the the original wave of electronic music what's the book called the san francisco tape music center oh okay yeah. and then paulina oliveros went on to mills college and oh, brought, kind sense. of brought the tape center with her uh -huh. when it folded okay yeah. okay that's cool and then shall i go into this new order music bed or do you want yeah, me to go, go ahead and go, go ahead and fade into that because uh, as long as we're talking about electronic music and this is definitely the more pop side of electronic music um i read peter hook's uh third memoir he wrote uh one that was called inside joy division detailing that band and then he wrote one called how not to run a club which was about the hacienda where you know the ecstasy-fueled parties took place. And then he finally wrote a book about New Order, which uh, was very interesting to me. You know, obviously there's animosity between himself and Bernard Sumner, but it really laid out a lot of the interesting stories about the, uh, the origins of New Order from the ashes of Joy Division. You know, because after Ian Curtis died, 
they kind of didn't know what to do. Nobody yeah. knew who was going to sing. They and they certainly didn't really um, have any experience with electronics. Um, but my favorite story out of the Peter Hook book is about the single Blue Monday, which was their biggest selling single. And you would expect a popular group's biggest selling single of all time to be a huge moneymaker. But in fact, the design of the sleeve for the single was so complicated and so expensive that they actually lost money. <laughs> That was a factory record. Yes. Yeah. yeah I mean, the their their visual output is amazing. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It looks easy and simple, but it's just yeah. Definitely high art. That's do you, funny do you have a that favorite? they were willing. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to look at them all. I don't even remember what it all includes. I just know I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Very uh, minimalist. Yeah. But with interesting, you know, hidden gems in the artwork, you know. Yeah, I don't actually know that I've touched many, like looked at sort of the, like apart from, you know, the visuals online. Like I don't own a lot of original factory records. Like that would be kind of cool to see what the LPs open up and look like and all yeah. that. Well, like, for instance, the, the Blue Monday uh, sleeve has, it's made to look like a floppy disk from the 80s, which, I, have you seen, like, an old five and a half inch floppy disk? Yeah. Or is it five and a quarter? No, five and a half, I think. And they have the little cutout that is like a um, rounded yep. rectangle on one side. Yeah. yeah. So they actually had that laser cut, and that's one of the reasons that it made it so expensive to produce. <laughs> dedicated to the form yeah i mean it put them in, in you know in a different category from other bands that were using synthesizers to be popular they definitely uh put an emphasis on the art of it you know yeah yeah and it was cohesive um which is pretty cool yeah okay so now we're gonna listen to a full track by gary newman two-way army called praying to the aliens all right from the album replicas
Connor. Oh, wait. I didn't do the intro. Hey, you're listening to B-Side Dreams here on BFF.fm with me, Jamie B-Side, and my guest, P.F. Dumanis. Hi. And that was Sinead O'Connor, of course. <laughs> Unmistakable voice, but off her first album, which was... The Lion and I the Cobra. The be- yeah, I think one of her best. I mean, her best. I was telling P.F. when he picked this song out that... I was really into that song, I Want Your Hands On Me, because I was really into horror movies at that time in the 80s when it came out. And it was in, featured in the movie Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4. <laughs> <laughs> did you watch all four? <laughs> yes, I'm sure I did. I don't really remember the details that made them different. Did but. you know there's a remix of it with MC Light rapping over the No. Instrument? Of that song? Yeah. No, of... Uh, of Put your hands on me. Oh, uh-uh. I mean, I want your hands on me. Whatever it's um, Yes. And I like that man, Mandinka. Mandinka, that's yeah. That's But what too. did you think of Just Like You Said It Would Be? Wasn't that great, too? That's good, too. Yeah, yeah. that's a great album. There's this um, false ending with the drumstick clicks yeah. there. When I saw her in Boston, one of her first U.S. shows, she uh, took a pair of drumsticks off Mike Joyce's drum kit because she had Mike Joyce and Andy Rourke from the Smiths backing her up. Oh, cool. And she, I didn't know that. She took the sticks and just kind of held them for most of the song. And then when it came to that part, did the double click and then gave them back to Mike Joyce. Nice. <laughs> it's a really nice touch. And uh, of course, we played that because I read her memoir, Rememberings. How was that? Um, it was good, uh, juicy, you know, obviously the whole ripping up the Pope on Saturday Night Live, which she says, you know, I was right, um, you know, and they need to apologize to me. I don't think Saturday Night Live or NBC ever apologized or invited her back. That's so weird. Yeah, because she was totally right. <laughs> yeah, and it's just weird because Saturday Night Live prides itself on being edgy. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and against uh, child abuse. (laughs) Hopefully, hopefully. Um, But, you know, one of the juiciest parts of her memoir was, of course, meeting Prince, which she only did once. Uh, And actually, before I dive into that story, I should point out that... Oh, yeah, because he, like, chased her or something? Yeah, Yeah. he terrorized her, really. Um, But I also wanted to point out that just like you said it would be is spelled with a capital U and a capital B. Yeah. So she was obviously influenced by him. She covered uh, nothing compares to you. you. So Prince invited her to his house. Did he write that for her? No, he wrote it for a band called The Family. Oh. Uh, And you could hear their version on YouTube, but I like Sinead's better. Yeah. Uh, But. be a little bit before he invited her over, um, Sinead got new management, which happened to be Prince's former manager, who was he was having kind of a feud with. And so a lot of people involved with the story that I'm about to tell think that it was basically Prince trying to get back at his manager, oh. at his former manager, uh-huh. uh, through Sinead, like she was just a pawn in his little games and he basically invited her over and um the funniest part of i mean she was already kind of not wanting to be there but he said uh i'm just gonna go upstairs for a minute and then he comes down with a pair of pillows and says how about a pillow fight oh my god (laughs) at this point she needs like well sure whatever that sounds fun i'll have a pillow fight with prince but 
his pillow had something heavy in it that really hurt her badly. And so then she made a run for it. uh, And he chased her in his car. (laughs) And she had to, like, uh, run down. Not on his purple motorcycle? (laughs) Not the purple motorcycle. (laughs) It was some kind of fancy sports car, though. Like a purple Ferrari? It was probably purple. Or maybe a little red Corvette. You're on fire, Jamie. <laughs> um, she finally got to somebody's house, and they weren't even home, but that you know was enough to kind of scare Prince away. Um, the next track we're going to play, though, is uh, by a band that was Kathy Valentine's band, and Kathy Valentine was the bassist for the Go-Go's through most of their career, and she was in a band called the Textones, and that is actually originally where she wrote the uh, song Vacation, which was the Go-Go's, I think, second biggest hit, and she wrote most of it. But when she brought it into the Go-Go's, Jane Weedlin helped her uh, write a better chorus, so it is kind of a co-written song. Um, the chorus is admittedly much better in the Go-Go's version, but we're going to play you the Textones version. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I like the Textones text tones versions too and like i was saying i didn't i didn't even know that existed so this is super well, cool much more punk rock um it, it, not many people realize this uh, yeah but the go-go's were very punk rock oh yeah totally when i read alice Begg's book um she she was friends with that group crew and there's a lot of very punk photos of all of them together it's super cool well, my favorite evidence of this is the um is called the corner cleaners which was actually kathy valentine's idea and what it is is they would go into truck stops on when they were on tour and dare each other to lick the dirtiest corners of the bathrooms at the truck stops (laughs) and they would for what fun (laughs) punk credentials that's disgusting (laughs) isn't it (laughs) If anyway, no one's giving me like a million dollars anyway, for her that. Bu- her book is called um, All I Ever Wanted because it's the line from Vacation. And here right. it is. With that, here it is. The text tones of Vacation.
Thank you. <laughs> you know, folks, um, when I was a kid, I was very close to my grandmother. And um, she used to sing a song to me when I was just so high, and it's always meant something to me. And I'd like to do it for you right now, because it does have meaning in today's world. Even uh, all these years, you know, this... Even during the hip drug days, you know, when everybody was supposed to be so cool and everything had double meanings. And this, this little simple tune would keep coming back to me. I think it kind of guided me through those years. And uh, I'd like to do this song for you right now. I think it uh, might have a little meaning for you. So be courteous, kind, and forgiving. Be gentle and peaceful each day. Be warm and human and grateful And have a good thing to say Be thoughtful and trustful and childlike Be witty and happy and wise Be honest and love all your neighbors Be obsequious, purple and clairvoyant Be pompous, obese and eat cactus Be dull and boring and omnipresent Criticize things you don't know about Be oblong and have your knees removed Be tasteless, rude, and offensive Live in a swamp and be three-dimensional Put a live chicken in your underwear Get all excited and go to a yawning festival Okay, everybody Be courteous, kind, and forgiving be courteous, kind, and forgiving. Good. Be gentle and peaceful each day. Be gentle and peaceful each day. Be warm and human and grateful. Be warm and human and grateful. And have a good thing to say. And have a good thing to say. Be thoughtful and trustful and childlike. Everybody on this. Be thoughtful and trustful and childlike. Be witty and happy and wise. Be witty and happy and wise. Be honest and love all your neighbors. Be obsequious, purple, and clairvoyant. Let him hear you outside. Be obsequious, purple, and clairvoyant. Be pompous, obese, and eat cactus. Everybody sing. Be pompous, obese, and eat cactus. Be dull and boring and omnipresent. Be dull and boring and omnipresent. Criticize things you don't know about. Criticize things you don't know about. Be oblong and have your knees removed. Be oblong and have your knees removed. Ladies only, be tasteless, rude, and offensive. Now the men, live in a swamp and be three-dimensional. Live in a swamp and be three-dimensional. Everybody, put a live chicken in your underwear. Put a live chicken in your underwear. Go into a closet and suck eggs. Go into a closet and suck eggs. guys are going to be on a record. <laughs> Maybe someday, not mine. Hey there, you're listening to B-Side Dreams here with me, Jamie B-Side, and my guest P.F. Dumanis. And what was that all about? That was Steve Martin, of course, <laughs> from his first album, Get Small. And uh, the first thing I want to say is, can you imagine leading an audience into song these days? I mean, that was something that really only could have happened in the 70s. 
I mean, I as a just, comedian? I actually just watched a comedy special where that happened. Oh, okay. I stand corrected. Who was it? I think it was W. Kamal Bell. Oh, from okay. here. I like him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Steve Martin has a memoir called Born Standing Up. Uh-huh. And it's fantastic. It's really great. He's a good writer. I mean, he's written other books as well. So, to be expected, and he's super funny. My favorite story from that is when he was first getting a start, and he had uh, the opportunity to be a junior writer on the Smothers Brothers Hour. And he was not doing that well, and he felt like they were about to fire him. And so he um, remembered a bit that a friend of his, who was a comedian, and I don't remember who it was, had written, and he stole it. He actually <laughs> checked with he checked with a friend, and he said, "Yeah, you can use that." And so he stole it. And the line was it, the the Smothers Brothers sketch was something about TV, and he said, "It's a little known fact that more Americans watch television than any other household appliance." <laughs> <laughs> Which is a brilliant, brilliant line, even if it's stolen. And they loved it so much, they kept him on. And they asked him, Steve, did you write this? And he said, yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> Full of stories like that, but that's my favorite one. That's hilarious. Okay, so we are, we are reaching the end, but we've got a couple more things. We're going we're gonna to dip into the Beatles yeah, I mean, it's not technically a memoir, but Get Back is in the news and uh, yeah, kind yeah. of public eye right now. So. I haven't seen it yet. Um, and I've only seen the first third, just to be upfront about it. But I just, uh, the first part ends with the cliffhanger of George Harrison leaving the band, okay. which is, of course, you know, the, the scene everybody was waiting to see. How is it? It's great. And um, at, if you don't want a spoiler, then just turn off your radio for uh, for about a half a minute. But, um, but it's brilliant. Uh, Paul's basically uh, acting like the boss and telling George Harrison kind of what to play. And he, you can see it on his face. He's getting fed up. And then he just stands up and says... I think I'll be leaving the band now. <laughs> and Paul says, when? And he says, now. <laughs> and then he leaves. This is not on the film, but he leaves saying, see around the clubs. But I just want to unpack Paul's comment for a second. If somebody who you've been in a band with for 10 years says that he's quitting the band, would your question be, when? <laughs> Well, I'm sure he felt the tension coming on. Like, basically, in his mind, he's like, okay, yeah, I know you're going to leave, but can you just finish this? <laughs> can we finish what we're doing right here? I need you to be my pawn still. Yeah, but it's, uh, I am in thoroughly enjoying it. I mean, I'm a Beatles fan, but I'm also a fan of process, and it's kind of the perfect mixture of the two showing the Beatles in their process but they were all so wary of being filmed um, that they're not entirely themselves but it's fun yeah it's, it's fun interesting because they went I mean they, pro they maybe felt the same way that they did when they were 
like on tour and why they stopped touring because just they were so ogled and and then they were like let's just be a really private studio band and then to have like cameras in there exactly takes that away again well and they're supposed to be um playing some big show as part of the get back project from the right from 69 and i think it's uh George Harrison that says, you know, I'll come back into the band if we don't do that show. The rooftop one? No, no, the rooftop show becomes kind of the compromise. But oh, they were okay. originally oh. planning like a show in like a big outdoor amphitheater in Sabratha, Libya. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, uh, oh. Before we go into Long, 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 which is my... Uh, oh, I thought we were doing the Moog one first. Oh, yeah. Uh, we could. I thought that was going to be a bed, but you could go into that. But let me quickly play... Oh, I missed the bed part. That's okay. I'm going to quickly play from my phone a clip of um, after George has left and the, the other three Beatles and Yoko come back to the studio and they're just making a lot of noise and Yoko um, takes the opportunity to take George's mic. Oh my god. <laughs> and this is uh, what it sounds like. I think we get it. <laughs> and that's the Beatles. <laughs> that's funny. Like, having it come from your phone, like, made it worse. But I bet Yoko would like it that way. Okay. I think so. All but right. I, so, wait, but yeah, no diss yeah. to Yoko, because I yeah, actually no, love I Yoko. I love Yoko, too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not a Yoko hater. Uh, okay, so I'm going to play the Moog. This is Here Comes the Sun, Isolated Strings and Moog, which you can find on YouTube. And then we'll go into long, long, long. And that'll be it. All right. Um, It's been a pleasure, Jamie. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for joining me again. You're always welcome back. And uh, tune in again next time, folks. Technical issue. No, I think it's just that the isolated strings and mode come in a little bit into the song. Oh.